Well, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, or you can listen as I read. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, we've been in the series we've called Better Than Good. Today we're going to get to the nub of that as we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' great teaching to the crowds. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says this, Do not misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great. In the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. Every four years, uh, American citizens have the opportunity to select a new president, as we have just recently done. Each voter heads into the, the voting booth, the polling booth, to... Select a candidate whose policies they believe are going to be the best, both for the country and for their own interests, right? Uh, sometimes we vote for the candidate that we believe or hope will undo what was done in the previous administration or eliminate some policies or laws uh, that have been created. New leaders are supposed to make sweeping changes, uh, at least some, that will hopefully make our lives easier. That's Why you, you know, that's a big part of what motivates your voting. Well, jump back with me to Jesus' day. And it is possible now as Jesus has come on the scene, he's begun to do these miracles, he's teaching, he's going about proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's possible that as people began to believe in Jesus as sort of a a great new leader for the nation of Israel with hopes of reestablishing Israel's status as a great and powerful kingdom, it's possible that they came to see Jesus as coming to clean the slate, so to speak, to, to wipe out the laws of the day, to, to kick out the establishment, to, I gotta say, my favorite campaign slogan, to drain the swamp, right, of Jerusalem. I mean, that's how they saw it, and to drain the swamp of Roman rule and occupation, and Jesus was gonna kinda lead the charge and take them forward. At least, that's what they expected a Messiah to do, and if Jesus was gonna be the Messiah, that's, that was their hope. But Jesus did not come to set up an earthly kingdom, not yet. He announced the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. And, and he did not come to eliminate the law or, the, or structure or order that God had put in place long ago. He was not coming to wipe those things out. Now, without a doubt, some would have been deeply disappointed by this. Jesus, however, did not come as an anarchist. He's not a communist. He was not a socialist. He's not a free market capitalist. Jesus is not a Republican or Democrat, not even a libertarian or Green Party person. Jesus is neither anti-union nor pro-labor. Jesus is greater than all and above all of those things. Jesus, uh, you know, came into this this time when when the Jews had a, had a complex system of law, right? Essentially, they had the core commands what we call the Ten Commandments. Right, given directly by God to Moses for the people. But there were over 600 other laws, written laws, that they had to follow and abide by that had been given 
by Moses from God. And the Ten Commandments, well, that's that's tough, but but learning and living by the legal code and moral code of the day and its many interpretations and additions over time, right? That was that was downright burdensome. I would say impossible, but burdensome for sure. And so as Jesus emerged, there may have been a hope on some people's part for a stay of these of these laws or an overturning of, of the or even abolishment of these ancient regulations. But here's the problem. Without law, there's no chance for justice. Right? There's no place for mercy if you don't have a standard or a law. Without rules or a standard to live by, there's no way to know to whom you answer in life, both in this life and and in eternal life. Without without a standard or without rules or law, there's 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 no reason to Abide in a certain way by a certain code. I mean, in our day, something as simple as, as I often use this illustration, something as simple as traffic lights. If we didn't obey, we'd have carnage every day on the streets. You need law, structure, order, regulations for, for, for society to function. Otherwise, you've got absolutely chaos. So, this idea of a free society with no boundaries and no consequences, it sounds great. I mean, it sounds very appealing, right? But there's way too much selfishness and corruption and, and greed and sin, not simply in the world, but in our own hearts, for that ever to, ever to work. We would just end up with a you know, kind of a Lord of the Flies or a Mad Max kind of survival of the fittest world. Laws keep the unruly and the lawless in check, but it's for the benefit of all of us. So, Jesus says, no, I'm not coming to wipe every wipe out all the, all the rules. Against their hope maybe for change, Jesus says, I'm not eliminating the law. It's perfect. It's God's law and it's, it's lasting. We read in verse 18 that, that Jesus says, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is fulfilled, achieved. God's instructions preserving order and community and worship, and health, and relationships, all those things that function under God's law, that, 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 that code was still, and is still, relevant. Okay. Well, if it's so good, why don't I stand here and preach the law to you every week? Why don't I stand here and remind you of all the regulations? You've got to do this, this, and this. And, and you, you know, we'll have to save the conversation some other time. Well, what about so many of those regulations that have to do with kind of... Uh, life in their community. You can read Acts 15 to see how the church sort of managed to boil down the, the regulations of the day and, and kind of summarize things as a way for the, for the Gentiles to live in a new way. But you can read about that in Acts chapter 15. Well, why don't I stand here and preach the law to you every week if it's so important? Here's why. Keeping the rules won't get you into heaven. Now, we already know the laws were hard, but they're not impossible. Because the Pharisees, these sort of religious experts, they, they, they had figured out how to keep the rules, and they were pretty good at it, to be honest. They were pretty good at it. Right? There's a difference. So, some of those things are, well, you know, how do you define that? And so then, 
um, you know, the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, what's sometimes called the scribes or teachers of religious law, they had it figured out and everyone could see it. And they had, can, you know, over time, they ended up developing a, a lot of kind of commentary and, and additional laws about the laws, right? If you, you know, any of you have seen, had to deal with something like a dress code in, in school, for example, you notice how it has to get more and more and more and more detailed over time because people are always trying to find a way around the rule, around the law. So it gets more and more specific. So now you've got these Pharisees and religious leaders and and they had this figured out and everyone else could see that they had it figured out. And they were technically correct in their handling of the rules as as in technical terms. They had that right. And people could see these guys are like religious professionals and and people knew that us regular folk do not stand a chance. We cannot measure up to that standard of those Pharisees. And we're going to come back to Jesus saying, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I think the regular folks, people like you and me, we needed to hear, they needed to hear uh, what God had said or be reminded of what God had said in Isaiah 29, 13. Um, God had said this, he said, the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Their lips are saying, praise God, but their heart's not in it. Their lips are saying, I obey all the rules, but their heart isn't. And there's a difference. The, the regular folks, people like you and me, needed to know that it's possible to obey the rules really well, like a Pharisee, and yet have it count for nothing. Because the law can't measure what's in the heart. The Apostle Paul later actually says, I was really good at this. I was, a, I was an excellent Pharisee, but I counted all as loss. I counted all as garbage. I counted all as nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. It, it, the, the law can't measure what's going in in your heart. It's, it's possible to keep all the rules and yet it be wasted effort if it's not done out of love from God and love for God, and love for people. There's no value in being a, quote, good person if your heart's not changed and motivated to please God, to love Him, and to love people. And I would say, very importantly, to know and receive God's love yourself. Remember, First John 4.19 says that we love because God loved us first. Well, then Jesus says, Unless your righteousness is better than these teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Ouch! Because if that's true, we're all in trouble. Right? We can't get in because those guys were the best there were. They were the standard to measure to. And, and, and because then, and we're going to look at this in the weeks to come, Jesus will share several examples to show that even if you kept the law outwardly, there's an inward component to be observed. So what's happening is that Jesus has set the bar of salvation, not to just like be a really good person, but he set the bar of salvation to an absolutely unattainable standard of perfection, externally and internally. He's pushed it so high that none of us have any hope for salvation. If it depends on keeping the law. None of us could ever be worthy enough or good enough 
It's an exam you can never pass, no matter how much you study. Except that Jesus then said that he came to fulfill the law. To fulfill or achieve the purpose of the law. Well, what does that mean? Not necessarily an easy term to explain, and theologians love to kind of grapple with that and commentators, but, but it has this weight of like completing or satisfying the law. Jesus came to, to, to satisfy the expectation or demands of the law. That he himself would be the culmination of God's regulations. That he would be the embodiment of God's perfection for us. All along, the, the people were supposed to trust God for their salvation, right? And show their faith in God by the very detailed sacrifices and rituals of, of, that God had given them, these Jewish people. But instead of their faith in God, as shown by the sacrifices and rituals, most of them put their faith in the rituals and the blood of animals and the sacrifices and the rules. They put their faith in those things for salvation, Rather than allowing those things to demonstrate their faith in God. And Jesus' earthly life and his earthly ministry would, would eventually demonstrate that we can be saved. Because Jesus, the perfect law keeper, Jesus who is the judge and the sin bearer, Jesus who is both the sacrifice and the priest, Jesus helps us see that we need an outside Savior, we cannot save ourselves. Ed and Ingrid mentioned this sort of, this, you know, Buddhist concept of having to kind of work your way up and eventually, if you work high enough, you've reached, you'll achieve some kind of nirvana. And Jesus makes the point that we need an outside Savior. We cannot do it ourselves. And then the purpose of the law is really meant to enable us to love God, enable us to love people, the purpose of the law shows us that we need salvation. We need an outside Savior. The point of the law was never to simply just keep the rules, just obey the law. The law was a tool through which those people could love God and love others and establish a God-pleasing community. Think of it, think of it this way. A new teacher walks into a classroom to replace a retiring teacher. You have a teacher who's retiring mid-semester and and, uh, you know, the retiring teacher is, you know, their hearts just hasn't been in it. So students are having a hard time and, and tough time and, and the, the term's not going very well. And the kids are all feeling like they're going to fail this exam that's coming up at the end of the semester. And so in walks this new teacher. And what the kids hope is the teacher's going to say, yeah, you've had a tough semester. I'm a new teacher. We're just going to throw out the exam and we'll just get you through on good behavior. That's what they're hoping for. Right? That's what I'd be hoping for. And instead, the new teacher says, I did not come here to abolish the final exam. Right? I came to get you ready for it and make it, make it so you can pass. Jesus didn't come to throw out the law. He came to make you righteous, not religious, but righteous. Enough to pass the judgment of the law by your faith. Jesus did not come to make you religious. He came to make you righteous. By faith. And so, I'm going to ask three simple questions as we wrap up. Don't fold your Bible up just yet. When a, when a pastor says, in conclusion, that usually means, oh, put your Bible away and get ready for coffee. I'm not quite that far. Okay? We have three questions here. 
that, that I want you to ask. And these are kind of in the personal or the first person. I want you to ask. You can write these down. I, I did not send these in to the office ahead of time this week as we were traveling. And so you're going to have to write these down and then be ready to share your thoughts when you meet with your connection group this week. But the first question is this. What's more important to me? Rules or relationships? Probably not fair to put it sort of in a binary either or thing like that. But I mean, just think about that in general terms. What's more important to me, rules or relationships? See, in keeping the law with excellence, the Pharisees ran over a lot of relationships. They burdened people with a lot of do's and don'ts. And all that mattered to them was keeping the rules. Who cared what kind of corruption was inside the heart? And they didn't understand that the goal was not simply to keep the rules, but to use the rules, like I said, as a tool to know God and to build a meaningful, God-pleasing life and community. So what's more important to me, rules or relationships? Next week, we'll look at, start looking at some, of, or in two weeks, some of Jesus' examples on this. But if, as a Christian, you are mostly concerned about keeping score, keeping the rules, policing everyone else to stay in nice, neat rows of good religious behavior, then you're missing the relationship you're meant to have with God and with His people, with His community. So, test your ass. What's more important? There's a, the answer is, what's more important to God is the relationship. And out of the relationship, we obey. Out of the relationship, we do what pleases God. Okay, because that leads to my second question. Do I believe God's ways are good for my life? Do I believe God's ways are good for my life? God's holy instructions are not going away. I'm still to worship Him only and to honor my parents and be faithful to my wife and tell the truth. That hasn't changed, but I don't pursue the right things in order to be saved. I pursue the right things because I'm saved. That's kind of at the heart of the gospel. And I pursue the right things because it's good for me. It's good for my life and it's good for the lives of those around me, starting with with my family, but it goes beyond there to my neighbors and 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 all of us together in the church. If if, you know, um. So I, I do what's I do what's right because it's good for anyone. And if I even in a heart level, if I'm disobedient or rejecting God's way of doing things, it's not good for me and it's not good for my relationships. God wants you to be reconciled to him and reconciled to others, right? Reconciled means brought it in, into right relationship. That's the ultimate goal of the law, but all the law was able to do was point out that we're sinners. The law we are unable to keep. So Jesus himself kept the law on your behalf. So now you can be reconciled to God and to others. And that needs to happen. But not to impress God, but because it's good for you. And it's good for the people around you. Third question. How can I be better than a Pharisee? How can I be better than a Pharisee? The answer is, of course, you can't. And you can you can't, but you can. You, you, you can't be better than a Pharisee in terms of the, you know, keeping all the rules. Now, I'm assuming, of course, that you have a desire to live a life that's favored by God, that's blessed by God. But it doesn't happen by meticulous rule keeping. Even, even perfect actions from an imperfect heart are still imperfect. Right? You can't, you can't make it perfect if the starting point is not perfect. None of us are perfect. So you can be better than a Pharisee. You can be perfect by faith in Christ Jesus. 
exchanging your unrighteousness for his righteousness. That's what, why Jesus went to the cross, that he, he, he died in our place so that we could have life. He took our sin so we could take on his righteousness. That's the great exchange of the gospel message. And it doesn't mean you won't sin and, and break God's code from time to time, maybe every five minutes, but, um, right? It means that Jesus has already perfectly kept the law on your behalf and he suffered the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion against God's ways. And so when we begin to recognize, wow, Christ did that for me, we become more and more motivated to say, I want to do things the right way. And we become more and more motivated to say, Lord, I want to listen for your instructions in my life. God, I want to be, I want to follow your call, whether it takes me across the street or across the country or across the world. We say, Lord, I want to follow you. And this week, I, I guess my urge, urging to you would be just to really reflect on the great mercy of, of God who made a way for us by, by his death, by Jesus' death on the cross, a way for us to be in right relationship with him and with each other. And with each other. A Pharisee spends a lot of time kind of seeing how everyone else is doing. A, a person who trusts faith says, look, it's, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just working on this. And I'm not working on your relationship with God. I'm working on my relationship with you and my relationship with God. I'll let you work on your relationship with God. A Pharisee feels like he's got to work on everyone else's relationship with God. I can't do that. I can't do that for you. Trusting in righteousness by faith, not by law. Live in gratitude this week that Jesus did not throw out the justice of God. But he satisfied it so that we could be forgiven and free. Let's, let's pray together. Lord God, we're grateful that we have this um, opportunity to gather today to worship together and to be inspired and challenged and encouraged and motivated. But Lord, we don't want that to be just so we can be nicer, better people. God, we want to be people who recognize that we're broken, we're sinful, we have, we're desperately needy. Most of the time we don't know what to do or what we're doing. We say we trust you. We trust you to take our lives and make something of them. That by faith as we turn our sins over to you, you would give us life. I thank you for not throwing out the order and structure of how to live. But Jesus, you fulfilled that on our behalf. In church, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you've never made that great exchange of being forgiven for your sin and receiving Christ Jesus as your Savior, it's really easy. You could just you'd pray something like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you're the Son of God. That one day you'll return. And I choose now to follow you. As the Lord of my life. Amen. If you pray something like that today, would you please tell somebody? Would you let someone know? For the rest of us, let's be people who pursue a relationship with God and not just a relationship with the rules. God, we're grateful for this day. We give you our praise. Amen.